teaching people how to prep and how to do planning sessions and how to get all the hold the customer ahead of the visit to do some discovery. And that's all great stuff and we should always do that. But not practicing the way we're gonna be in front of a customer. For example, choreographing our moves. Simple things like, when is it the right time to break in and ask a question or create a clarifying situation? Knowing how to signal that is very, seems very simple, but a lot of people don't know how to do that. Hey everybody, George Soto here, and you're tuning into Demo Diaries. Today I'm joined by Alex Redder, who's Director of Sales Engineering for the U.S. South at Cisco. Alex, how are you? Thanks for joining us today. Doing great. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, you know, Cisco is one of the most innovative companies in technology history. We wouldn't be connected uh, right now on the internet if it wasn't for Cisco. So very excited to, to chat with you today. If you don't mind just uh, telling folks a little bit about your career background and how you actually got into sales engineering, which is really exploding these days. Well, it is the best job in the world if you're going to work. So it's my, my opinion. But I think that'd be shared by a number of sales engineers. I actually um, got into sales engineering, probably like most sales engineers, none of us went to college for this. So we have degrees all over the map, but you know, I took kind of a winding path. I actually started in accounting, if you can believe that, and then didn't uh, really wasn't my forte. So I moved on to land administration through a series of comical errors and um, worked in the data center for a little while. I did some consulting, I was a product manager, and then finally I um, almost accidentally ended up in sales engineering. And then I did that for quite some time, left for a short period of time, a couple of years, and did some professional services consulting. Learned a lot about that business, but the thing I learned the most was that I belong in sales engineering, so I'm back, hopefully for good. Nice. Well, let's talk a little bit about best practices. Like essentially what tips would you give sales engineering leaders around developing a culture of excellence within their teams? I know this is like more of a qualitative, some would consider woo-woo, but I believe it's actually really core to any team's success. I, w I would agree. The, um, I guess the thing you might start with is that culture exists whether you build it or drive it or not. And so you have the opportunity to create culture or you have the opportunity to let that be done for you, but it will exist. So what I try to help people in my teams do is to know themselves first. So to come into the team, knowing what they want to do, what kind of a leader they want to be, uh, what kind of a culture are they interested in before they come? And then what kind of culture will they build while they're here, especially in the leadership role? So our teams work on um, kind of a leadership path of, you know, a series of workshops to try to build that up as they first come into the role. And we help them kind of discover what their values are. And if you can build out your own set of values, what kind of a leader do you want to be? Intentional, servant, there's all these different buzzwords around it. But generally, if you know what your core is, then the as things come at you, as you run into certain scenarios or new scenarios, you'll have a baseline for how to handle them. And your team will, will get your consistency and they'll understand and they'll see the culture that you're building by how you're demonstrating that. And you have a good foundation of success from there. Now, are there any particularly like um, tactics or I don't want to say tactics. That's kind of sounds a little misleading, but more 
conversation topics or uh, ways of approaching people during difficult times that you've seen are super successful with maintaining a culture, keeping people excited and motivated uh, while addressing things that maybe, you know, aren't the most fun? Sure. I mean, generally, there's a couple of ways you probably do a little discovery first, right? It always starts with trying to seek to understand as, as, as we say, but I think if you know, if, if you know, generally the scenario, even if it's difficult, approaching somebody with transparency is my style and it may not be for everybody, but it doesn't mean harshness and it doesn't mean being brash about the situation, but if someone's not doing well, coming with solutions, how can we get through this? If it's a real attitude style problem. I mean, they're, you know, set aside that 20% where there's something intentional going on. But if you have an, a, someone on your team who really wants to do well and it's going wrong, or they've made a mistake, or um, they're in a situation they don't know how to handle, transparency for me works the best. You're, here's the situation as I see it. Get some clarifying questions. Make sure you have both sides of the story. And then help someone build solutions around it rather than going telling them what to do. That's, this is my style. It, uh, like I said, it may not work for everybody, but I think making sure that we understand the holistic 360 idea of what's going on versus just uh, responding to something that's in front of us um, will certainly take us pretty far. No, that, that makes total sense. It's sort of my style too, where, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to tell people what to do. Let's like come up with the strategies together, agree on when we should get it done and what it should look like and move forward. So I really appreciate that. In terms of like workflows that sales and sales engineering leaders can put in place to like, you know, very much in, improve alignment across things like deal qualification and then customizing demos. You know, these are certainly things that can become a, a point of contention uh, or, or misalignment at times within organizations. Uh, any, any sort of tips you'd give leaders to kind of improve that? Yeah, yeah. It, it may result in bigger changes than you might expect. But the, the one thing I've seen consistently in, in numerous stops along this role is the desire to train people to be specialists, but the lack of focus on making sure we bring those teams together to train as, as a whole. So for example, we'll have boot camp. Day one is everyone. Day two through X is sales engineering in one room and reps in another room. And then we sometimes even might not include the partners, our internal ecosystem, uh, even, you know, as far into uh, order ops. So not understanding very deeply each other's role definitely can cause some confusion. And so if we, if we know that we train individual skills, well, that's okay. We certainly want to bring those teams together. So you have the SE and the, the sales rep and potentially your value consultant and maybe even your PS salesperson really prepping for deals together. And if in order to do that, you have to do some training together. And so consistently I see we do all of this individual training. We have, let's say there's three days that we go to a QBR and one is spent on making sure everybody is enthusiastic about the upcoming quarter. And the other two days are spent infield training and sales goes to one room and SEs go to the other room and we come back together. And the expectation we have when we do that is that the teams will then figure out how to take those specialized training sessions jam them together right before they walk into the customer's office. And that's just not going to happen. Uh, it's demonstrated time and again. And so we try to mitigate that with 
teaching people how to prep and how to do planning sessions and how to get all the whole the customer ahead of the visit to do some discovery. And that's all great stuff. And we should always do that, but not practicing the way we're going to be in front of a customer. For example, choreographing our moves, simple things like when is it the right time to break in and ask a question or create a clarifying situation? Knowing how to signal that is a very, seems very simple, but a lot of people don't know how to do that. Yeah. Awesome. Now in terms of sort of what, from your perspective, of course, what do you think top, you know, 1% or top performing sales engineers do that others that are not performing don't do, frankly? Um, probably a couple of things, you know, in particular, I think for companies that have a, a pretty well-defined sales process, most of them have a champion building or, or building champion, uh, owning the champion, something around champions. And I think the top 1% do that well. They know what a champion is. They know how to differentiate a champion from a coach, someone that has actually the influence or the access or the power to get a deal done uh, versus someone who really likes what you do, but you know they just really like you and they'll tell you things, but they can't move you through the, through the buying process at your customer. Um, so knowing how to build that. But if you take the champion process itself and you expand that to your reps and maybe even your personal life, to be honest. So if you're always building champions, so the top 1%, the first thing they do is they build their rep into a champion. And then they put their rep into a position to, so that the SE can be the, the champion for the rep. And if you bond like that, and then you go to customers, you can almost finish each other's sentences, which might seem inappropriate, but it does create that, that presence in front of a customer that this is really a team. And it allows them then to be focused on the customer and not to worry about if they're stepping on somebody's toes or if they're interrupting at an inappropriate time, or if this rep's going to be upset because they did X, Y, and Z. Having that really strong bond allows them both as a team to focus on the customer's needs. And so that would be my second thing is that they focus on customer value. So for example, a a really successful SC rep team um, that's not, I wouldn't consider in the 1%, but they're still successful. They might say something like, look, this .NET core application delivers um, credit card processing for the customer. And we're going to make that run better. I mean, it sounds valuable, but it's really still kind of this um, point solution. A top 1% person would say something like, look, the customer's unable to see where their overnight credit card transactions are being dropped during the, during the batch processes. And you know they estimate they're going to lose $50 million this year because of that. So what we're going to do is we're going to build a solution that allows them to find those in process, stop the batch processing, and keep them from losing money, right? And if, when a customer hears that, you can take that story up and down the chain. And that's what the top 1% folks, uh, I think they do really well. And then they own everything. They own everything. And even if you're, you're talking about only SCs, but remember the top 1% have a bond with their reps, but they own everything as an SC. They own the relationship, they own themselves, they own accountability, they own uh, the customer. And when they do that in combination with the rep, it's, it's really something to see and the customer appreciates it. Awesome. Now I know Cisco is a massive company. You have multiple, I don't even know how many SKUs. I'm going to just say multiple upon multiple SKUs. 
right? Uh, you know, from from the the products that you work on, like how do you know how deep to go into a proof of concept, and versus maybe just something that's a little lighter until you get to the point where you either internally a say, you know what, we've seen this movie before. If we don't go a little deeper, it's a little more customized. You know, it's it's probably not going to move as fast or they're going to ask us later on or you know or you just kind of like just wait for them to to kind of kind of request that so i think you if we back up a little bit and we start with the idea that we know a customer has a buying process and we have a selling process and the magic is to bring those two things together in a way that both the customer and the seller are not just getting what they need but they're moving with confidence as a team. If we're merging the buying and selling process well, the customer knows what to expect and they are sponsoring the proof event. And so there, there's, no, there's not as much scope creep. I would say there's none, but that's never true. So we know what to do. And so the, the idea of how deep to go or how not deep to go really is a byproduct of the value that we're able to prove or the value that the customer is going to get when they get into uh, production. And so what we like to do is try to focus on adoption from the very first meeting. So if we think about the first time we talk to a customer and all of the discovery we do to understand, why would they even talk to us? So there's got to be a reason that they would do anything. And if we understand that and the customer understands that, and then we can show value to the business, not just to the technical team, then it's a pull through. And the idea of how deep we go or what technologies we show, even if we sell you know, like you said, I, we probably have thousands of SKUs. I don't know the count, but to know which of those SKUs make the most sense, we have to know what solution we're driving to. And that comes a lot from having the customer really understand where we should do the scoping. You know, for a, an SC who works at an organization as big as Cisco, how do you think is the best way that they can, based on your experience, impact the product roadmap? Oh, uh, I don't think it matters, to be honest, what size the company is. I, having been a product manager myself uh, in a you know, reasonably sized company, it, it, I think it has less to do with, with a number of, uh, the complexity I don't think is driven by the number of uh, solutions that we have. To be super successful in product uh, input, you really need to understand the, the world of the product manager. And, and, you know, this is my opinion, nobody's, you know, nobody's told me this, but I, just having been a product manager, when anyone would bring me an idea, the very first thing, thing a product manager is wondering is, can I make money with this? And if you can't make money with this, then I certainly am going to need some sort of executive sponsorship or another reason to make this happen. And so the very first thing is, what is the business case for what I'm asking for? So as an SE or as an SE leader, if I'm going to escalate or champion a new, new request, I need to understand the total addressable market. Sometimes that's at a specific company if it's a low cost change. Uh, sometimes that's across all of our solutions or a subsection of, uh, of the customers that we have. So if I know the total addressable market, and uh, so that gives me a sense of, you know, am I gonna get even my investment back, let alone earn additional revenue on top of that? And then what's the business value to the customer? Is this a high impact issue? What is it someone who's simply complaining at, at a technical level or is this really business impacting? And if I can show those things as I come to the product management team, I'm definitely going to have a much higher priority in the list of things that they're looking at, which is in the hundreds, thousands, and who knows, maybe even millions. So I, I guess what I would say to the SEs is continue to be amazing customer advocates, because that's one of the, the tenets of a great 
uh, sales engineer is to be an advocate for our customers as we define what adoption would look like. While you're, when, when you go to the point of asking for, or you know, entering requests for product changes, you really wanna consider dropping your advocacy emotions because it's very easy to go to a customer and use the customer name because it's a really big customer and certainly it's got to be important and be emotional about the response that you get. If you can drop that emotional response, be a huge customer advocate by understanding the total addressable market. And then understanding the, like, and being able to articulate very clearly what the business case is. Then you enter in a conversation from the product manager's terms and from their perspective, and they will be able to engage you in a way that might be able to get that, uh, that request taken care of. Awesome. Alex, thank you so much. This was awesome. If folks want to follow you on social media or maybe learn more about jobs in your region and perhaps on your team, what are the best URLs or, you know, handles to reach you? Well, I'm pretty searchable on LinkedIn for sure. Uh, as I hope all of us are, um, I'm absolutely, we are hiring sales engineers now. So you certainly, if you're interested in sales engineering and you have some sort of an application, uh, background, you know, we'd love to talk or operations. We do, uh, we are able to bring in some operations folks as well, uh, into the sales engineering role. Uh, so yeah, LinkedIn is, I think for everybody is probably the best. Got it. And are these like web-based applications or, um, and, or maybe like, uh, on-prem? Oh, honestly, it doesn't matter if you have coding experience and particularly Java and .NET. I mean, but we, we work with Node.js and Python. And, you know, if you have some sort of idea of even, you know, minimal scripting, and you have a sense of how an application is built, how it runs. If you have cloud experience, if you're a cloud architect, um, if you are an operations person today, and you're hands-on with uh, moving anything to any application to the cloud, breaking up monolithic apps, even if you're kind of uh, not doing the actual coding yourself, but you understand how to set it in a cloud-based architecture and how that works, those are all the things that we touch in, uh, in it, you know, at Cisco in general. But in my specific area of app dynamics, we're really focused on the observability of what the user is feeling or you know, how the application is interacting with the infrastructure. So any of those kind of operations or technology jobs would certainly be something that would be interesting. Awesome. Alex, have a great day. And maybe I'll see you at a pre-sales conference or something here in Florida at some point. Absolutely. I'll be down in Miami pretty soon. So we'll, uh, we'll see what's going on. Cool. Well, have a great day. And thanks so much again. You as well. Thanks.